Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome back to the Reasonable Doubt podcast. My name is Rob Rosen. I'm the executive producer and creator of Reasonable Doubt, the television show. I'm Fatima Silva, criminal defense attorney and co-host of Reasonable Doubt. And I'm Detective Chris Anderson. I'm a retired homicide investigator and the co-host of Reasonable Doubt. All right. So for those of you who have not checked out the show, it is every Tuesday night, 10 p.m. on the ID Network. And basically what happens is that uh, Chris Anderson and Fatima go to see family members whose loved ones have been uh, incarcerated, convicted of murder. And they believe with all their soul that their loved one was wrongfully convicted of murder. They give Chris and Fatima leads. Chris and Fatima reinvestigate the case. And at the end, either decide that it's a case they want to get behind and help the family get justice or try to make the family see that maybe justice has already been served. All right. This week, we're going to talk about the Michael Crump case. And guys, this one was a really, really emotional and powerful case. Before we get started, Here's a little bit of background. Roanoke, Virginia, October 3rd, 1995. A small group of people are hanging out at a house late at night. Suddenly, a man in a hoodie storms in, fires a shot, and takes off with the murder weapon, which is never recovered. One man is hit, 21-year-old drug dealer, Eric Nike Jones. He will die from his wound. Police don't have much to go on. The killer left nothing at the scene. But nine days after the murder, they get a break. The woman who made a 911 call from inside the house now says she can identify the shooter. He's another local drug dealer, 18-year-old Michael Crump. 1996, Crump is assigned a public defender who waives Crump's right to a jury trial. The teenager's fate is now in the hands of a single judge. 
the prosecution's case rests on one person, Tina Trout, the woman who made the 911 call. It's enough. I find you guilty of first-degree murder. Michael Crump is sentenced to 37 years in prison. He is not eligible for parole until the year 2031. All right. So first of all, I wanted to get uh, you guys to comment. This is a case, and we've had one of these like this before, where basically someone is in prison serving an incredibly long sentence because of one eyewitness testimony. Not even talking specifically about this case, but Chris, as an investigator, how comfortable are you with those kinds of convictions? You know, um, they happen, you know. Sometimes that's all you have as an investigator. But it's up to you to push the, 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 the investigation further. Don't just rely on that single ID witness. You should never rely on a single ID witness because, you know, they are some of the most non-credible identifications that there are. I just, I hate to see them, but, you know, sometimes that's all you have. And it's up to the investigators to push further than that. Eyewitness testimony is a defense attorney's nightmare. I mean, how do you, when someone is convinced that they saw something, how do you tell them that, no, that's not what you saw? I mean, we all trust our instinct of what we saw with conviction. None of us really want to say, um, you know, when asked by a police officer, oh, did you see that accident? Did you see what kind of car? Um, even if you didn't really get a good look, you want to provide some information, right? You want to be helpful. That's our instinct. And so what happens is you tell yourself, well, I think it was, you know, a great car. Yeah, it was a great car. So suddenly you're going with what you feel is helpful, what you think you saw. And the truth is, as we've shown on, on Reasonable Doubt many times, it's just not reliable. But as human beings, when we testify and we say, that's, that's what I saw, that's what I remember, and then we keep telling ourselves that over and over, and you get up there on the stand, it's scary because it's so compelling and convincing for a jury they have no choice but to believe you, right? Well, why would this person lie? Well, we're not saying you intentionally lied, but that's what you believe you saw. And there are so many cases that hang on that one eyewitness and people are behind bars for that and wrongfully so. It's scary. I have to say that in doing this show, probably the one thing that I've changed my mind about the most just through going through these 30 investigations is the reliability of eyewitness uh, testimony. I mean, let's talk about this case. So we had a woman named Tina Trout, and it's almost out of central casting, right? She has vision problems. Chris, you did an experiment where you put on these glasses that sort of mimicked uh, the way she might see the world. So maybe describe a little bit, like how much did that affect the way that you were seeing the room and the lineup? It was very eye-opening. So you have this person that just jumps in the room and you, you already, you, your vision is already impaired because you're not really paying attention to it. And then this happens. And then you are inflicted with this disease that you know causes your vision to be blurred. I, I know for a fact, that when I made, and even though I, I guessed the right person, I was just guessing. I, I couldn't d definitively say that was the person that ran into the room. I, I looked at features of him, you know, the, the, the nose was one thing that stood out, but I still, I still didn't know whether he was black or white. 
So right, that's right, not that, something. That was amazing when you said that. That right. was, uh, you know, and for the, and for people who haven't seen the episode yet, and please do watch it on demand or wherever you watch uh, Reasonable Doubt. Um, Chris uh, was standing with a medical professional, an expert, and by surprise, as an experiment, he was wearing the glasses where he's seeing the world uh, as someone who has this syndrome would see it. Someone runs into the room and says, this is a stick up, runs out. And Chris, you know, that was really a moment when you said, I I don't even know if the guy was black or white. Like, I really couldn't identify him. Yeah. And, and, you know, that's the reason why I, as an investigator, I never go just stand alone with the eyewitness identification in none of my cases. That's from burglaries, robberies, especially robberies, but it's, and, and homicides. I never went with just that one identification. It was a, a culmination of everything that, that I, if that was something else I could rest my head on, then I would, but single ID witnesses and that's it. Nothing else. No. All right, so Fatima, you ended up meeting uh, with Tina Trout. I, I want to play a couple clips from it, but before we do that, what was your overall impression when you first met her? What, what were you thinking? Her physical appearance was really something I wasn't prepared for. Um, and that's not to say necessarily that, you know, her physical appearance has any reflection of actually how well or um, how bad she does see. But I mean, it was, it was difficult not to notice that she kept rubbing her eyes. They looked physically like she was in pain. Um, And it, it, I was cringing because I felt like they hurt her so much that I could almost see that, you know, and they kept watering. And so I'm thinking, you know, I'm here to ask her about what her eyesight is, you know, like and what it was like back then. It's hard to, um, you know, it's been many years. So maybe her eyesight wasn't as bad. Maybe her eyes didn't appear visibly sore like they did today. I was trying to be fair and I was always also trying to be gentle. But when it comes down to it, you know, we have somebody in prison and it is based on her ID witness mm-hmm. testimony only. It's it's based on her identification. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, anybody who has an impairment or a disability or anything of that nature, you want to be sensitive to that and questioning them. And that's always an issue when you have that kind of a witness on the stand and you're the defense attorney and, you know, you're cross-examining them. You You don't want to appear to the jury like you're trying to be harsh to someone. But at the same time, I'm trying to point out something that seemed obvious. Um, And so that was a really difficult interview for me because she wasn't answering in ways that made me confident she knew what she saw. So that's a great jumping off point. So I want to play this clip. And to me, and you tell me uh, how you feel afterwards, this feels like if Fatima Silva had been representing Michael Crump, maybe how cross-examination might have gone with Tina Trump. In that moment with the officers and they're showing you these photos, you in fact say that you you don't see him, correct? No, no, I told him that was him. Well, you tell them later. You leave mm-hmm. and tell me why you do this. You apparently tell them you need time to think about it. There, I was scared to death, but I pointed him out and said that this that was him. That first time, Tina, you didn't? Yes, I did. I know that later you did. And I'm only saying this because I know it's been 23 years for you, but I've been diving in all this, okay? You could not ID the shooter, and then you leave, and then later that day, you call them back and you say, I know which one it was, and you tell them what photo it was. 
So that's, that is how it happened. So the, we have a lot of cases where we're talking 15, 20 years later, and a lot of the witnesses, they do seem to forget some things, right? Like, I, I don't remember exactly what day I went to the police. I don't remember exactly what, um, you know, I said the person was wearing or, or something like that. But this was, I mean, when you completely change the facts to say something like, I identified him that first time, when the reality is that's not the case, that's huge. That's a big problem because now... <clears throat> This person has convinced themselves down the line or even by the trial date, that person probably convinced themselves that, yes, I saw, I got such a good look and I was so confident that I gave this person's name that very first time they asked me to identify. And it's the problem is this issue of feeling so confident that you confuse a jury, that you make a jury believe your confidence so much that they convict a man. And we've seen that happen over and over too. It happens with experts as well. I'm so convinced of the science that I've performed that, you know, this is, it's, it comes off to the jury as well. How do I not trust this person? Right. I'm relying on this person and it's dangerous. It's very dangerous. And so here when she is not only can't remember exactly what she saw him wearing, we'll get into that later. She, you know, she, she changes it and says, Oh, I remember he was wearing a Jersey. That's never even mentioned. But this issue of I knew immediately when they asked me who he was, um, when they brought me into the station that day, that's where we have misidentification issues. So, Chris, if you're the investigator on this case and you've got a woman who makes the initial 911 call like Tina Trout did, and she said that she didn't get a good look at this guy, and then somehow nine days later, she now, through the sequence of events, finally gets to the point where, oh, yeah, she is 100% sure it is Michael Crump. I'm assuming that this would set off a lot of uh, warning flags for you. It should have set off the entire barrage of, of warning flags. Because, look, what people say initially is usually what's right. So, yeah, in a case like this where you have a woman like Tina Trout, you know, forget the eye vision thing. Forget all of that. This woman says initially that, you know, I don't know who he, I didn't see who he was. I didn't see his face. But she gives a description of a guy in the black hoodie. And when they show her a, a picture, she can't identify him. Okay. But what happens over those six, seven, eight, nine days, she's focused on the black hoodie. That's the one thing that keeps resonating in her mind. And we do that all the time with, with victims of crimes. You, 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 they get focused on one thing. And that's what I think happened in this case. I don't think that this was some case that, that Michael Crump was, was picked up and set up by law enforcement or anything like that. I think this case boils down to Tina Trout being focused on that black sweatshirt. When she said, and, and if once that keeps going through your head and, and it keeps resonating in your mind, you see a friend getting shot by the black sweatshirt. The first thing you see, though, the first time that you see a black sweatshirt on someone, he is the person that shot my friend. And that's what happens in her head. Someone knows who Michael Crump is. They tell her, she calls police, notifies them that, hey, I saw the guy in the black sweatshirt that shot my friend. And now it's, it's burned into your head. You're not remembering exactly the, 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 the night of the shooting. You're, remember, you're, you're remembering the shooting, but you're remembering this, seeing this person wearing the same thing 
And now he's the person that did it. So, I, I mean, I think Fatima, they, there was a stacking of the deck in that when she first got that, uh, she had to identify Michael Crump out of what, five different pictures, he was the only one wearing that black hoodie, right? And that I, I take, and I think that was, that was a pretty big issue. I want to play one other clip. That um, was unconstitutional from, is what it was. Absolutely it was. So I want to show up, uh, play one other clip from the Tina Trout interview. And I think I'm c- curious, you know, just based on her tone, um, Fatima, what your impression was, because she was sticking to her guns that yes, uh, she still felt good about the identification and she felt that the right person was behind bars. But in this part, she almost seemed like playful. When you think back to the man that you saw that night, is there anything particular about his eyes that you remember? No, not even sitting, looking at him in the courtroom. <laughs> no. uh, anything about his nose that you remember? Mm-mm. How about his mouth? No. If you saw a photo, would you remember? <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> I think that like laugh at the end of it was a little bit haunting to me. It was I, for I mean, me how'd... too. It was. It was very disturbing. You know, this is a man's life. Um, and I think in those moments while she's answering those questions, she's kind of catching that, you know, wow, I can't even do this. But yet, you know, this entire case rested on on me. Um, I think she kind of laughed at the irony of it all. And it's it's sad, you know, this is why when you are first questioned about an ID, um, about a person's facial features, um, and then they end up finding somebody that matches those features, those are a little more reliable, right? When you can say, well, I remember a distinct point of the nose, or he had a mustache, or, um, you know, his these bushy eyebrows, those are indicators that you got to look at someone, you got a good look. Uh, And then if you're presented with photos later and and you see that, uh, not that you can still misidentify someone, but. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, it's Janice from Warner Brothers Discovery. Have you ever heard the expression, perfect is the enemy of good? 
I think about that a lot, especially when it comes to my body and health, because perfect does not exist. It's a total trap. Noom isn't into this perfection thing either. Its unique approach is tailored to each person's psychology and biology. From coaching to recipes, Noom's app provides personalized information to help you on your journey, no one else's journey. I also think it's great that Noom doesn't restrict what you can eat, and it doesn't shame you for treating yourself. And treat yourself, you should. What's more, Noom's approach is grounded in science. They've even published more than 30 peer-reviewed scientific articles about how they work. To date, Noom has helped more than 5.2 million people lose weight by helping them build new habits for a healthier lifestyle. So why not give it a try? Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com. And check out Noom's first-ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. It's more reliable, but for her, it was the indicator of, of that hoodie, which is so disturbing because everyone wears black hoodies in the hood. Yeah. You know, that is something everybody's on. You're not going to find a brother with a nice bright blue hoodie on or a purple hoodie. I mean, everybody normally, if you don't want to be associated with the gang, you're going to wear white or you're going to wear black. That's it. And so the fact that that's what identified him. Um, and then let's not even get into how later she says it was a Jersey. You know, these are issues once again, that it's, there's so many problems with the fact that this is the one thing, the only thing that put Michael in prison. We have nothing else. We have no DNA. We have no, uh, footprint in, you know, the mud that matches his shoe size, nothing else. It's just terrifying. So, you know, and that was fascinating, right? So you have one eyewitness testimony from one woman who the night of the murder said, I didn't get a good look at him, who had three eye surgeries prior to that incident and who had a degenerative eye condition that was, you know, made her almost legally blind. But despite all that, um, Chris, when you spoke to Michael Crump and you weren't able to see him face to face, you you uh, talked to him by phone from the prison. Um, I think felt like there were some parts of the story that bothered you a little bit on his end. And so I want to play this clip and get your reaction to it. You didn't know Nike Jones, the victim? I did not know Nike. Nike was selling drugs also. So how is it that two young men around about the same age in the same area are doing the exact same thing in a small town like Roanoke, Virginia, and you two don't know each other? I know it's far-fetched not being in that small town. I feel like everybody would know everybody. There's no connection between you and Nike Jones? No. I don't know how truthful he was being then. I mean, but if... If this were my case, if this was a case that I was investigating, I would really make sure I hammered down whether or not there was a, there was a connection between the two, because you want to find that out. You want to know that, right? Michael, to this day, can't really account for his whereabouts that night. Um, how much did that bother you? It bothers me some because that's the norm. You know, that's that's what guys that are responsible for a crime, that's something that they would say. I don't know what I was doing. I was sleep at the house and nobody can account for my time. But it, is it possible? Absolutely. But it, as an investigator, you don't want to just rest with that. You want to make sure which 
you want to make sure that you can account for his time if he's guilty or even if he's not guilty. But yeah. And you know what? That always, it makes people feel better. I get it. But the reality is too, this is the scenario where if something traumatic had happened to Michael that night or the next day, he would likely remember his exact whereabouts. But if we're talking about somebody just hangs around, he's kind of got a similar routine every day. Maybe it goes to his girls, maybe it goes to his bros, has a few beers, whatever it may be. And we're talking 10 days later right. that you're identified, 10 days, I'm not going to be able to remember unless I wrote something, you know, in my calendar about a certain day. I wouldn't remember either. And so that's the part that it's really unfair because you want somebody to be able to talk about their whereabouts, but you're asking them about it how much later when they, there was nothing significant for him on that day. There was no reason for him to remember that day unless he, unless did, he right. killed somebody. Yeah. You know, well, that's pretty significant. <laughs> so, so, uh, but, but that's the, the point that I want to make is that, you know, that's what investigators are used to hearing from people that are trying to keep hold back the fact that they did kill somebody. So, but at, what you want to do is you want to make sure you can nail down his whereabouts, whether he's guilty or innocent. All right. So take us behind the scenes. Um, when it came time for you two to decide whether this was a case you wanted to get behind or not, was there a lot of discussion or by the end of the week, were you guys pretty sold um, that you wanted to help Michael and his family? I mean, there had to be discussion because here's the part that really gets to Chris and I, you know, sometimes we have these cases and uh, we're looking for something. We want to help someone because they have no criminal history. They seem like a really good person. You know, they've never been in trouble with the law. They, they didn't display any signs of violence. Um, you know, they just seem like an all round decent person. And then we can't find anything that points to innocence and, and we're, you know, we find reasons that maybe they committed the crime, obviously, and, and we can't help. Uh, but we're talking a scenario that's completely different. This was someone who, he was a menace in his community. You know, he was out dealing drugs. He didn't care about whether people overdosed. He didn't care about whether he was ruining lives. That's not really somebody I like from the start. I kind of get nervous because I know a lot of our viewers get... Um, upset by that. You know, you're going to help someone like this with this kind of background. But if it were their loved one, if it was their son who maybe he stole something, but later is caught up for murder, they would be the first to call and fight on their behalf. And I see that all the time. So Chris and I did have to have that conversation, but we're also both familiar with uh, street crime and how we end up in a lot of situations of wrongful convictions because of that. So yes, there, there was a lot of discussion about this case. We never want to go without the discussion because I need her. I need, I need for that defense attorney side of Fatima to, to come out and, you know, make sure that we are staying true to who we are and what we do. So yes, that was a lot of uh, discussion about this case and whether or not we, we could help this person. And the, 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 the resolve that we came through, came to, by the end of the week was, you know, hey, Michael Crump was not a good guy. He did a lot to hurt his community, therefore hurting a lot of people. Uh, but when it comes down to this case, and was he responsible or, or is it possible that he was wrongfully convicted? And it is overwhelming. It is the, 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 the facts of this case overwhelmingly says that there is a possibility that this man was wrongfully convicted. So, you know, 
we've got to get away from that mindset of uh, convicting people for what they uh, uh, did in the past. That's not how our criminal justice system was set up. We should not punish people for, uh, or think it's okay to punish a person because of what they did in the past and not the charge that they were charged with during the time of their conviction. You guys uh, sat across from Lavanda, uh, Michael's uh, mother, and Rob and his sister, and they've both been fierce fighters for him. And I know for you guys, it's really difficult um, in the cases where you have to break bad news. But in this case, um, I think Lavanda had been waiting many, many years to hear that somebody believed in her. And this is, this is a part of what it sounded like. So Chris and I want to help you guys. We're going to hire a private investigator. So maybe we can find some new information and hopefully that will finally lead to the truth. This has been a, a long fight for you both, but we want to help you now. Thank you. Okay? Thank you so you won't have to do this alone. Thank you. God bless you. I feel like years of a lot of your heartbreak is yes. coming out. I still yeah, cry when I watch this. <laughs> I just you know, cry. Rob, I, I think you guys need to do something about that lighting, man. It it hits me in the in the <laughs> somebody's, somebody somebody's out on the set cooking onions oh, and stuff and sticking and them the, up under our chairs. And I, I say it, I say it all the time. It was hard for me when I worked homicides to see families cry and upset and and and, and hurt. It it hurts me to see people hurt. But when you think about Robin and Lavanda and everything that they had to go through for these many years and, and, and to see their son and their brother behind bars, when, and, and for all intents and purposes, he probably shouldn't be there. It's hard. And, and, and to think of all the, all the stuff that we did at the end, going through the investigation and you see the reason why he's in prison. My son has a, a black hoodie. I have a black hoodie. Hello. Chris, we've got a, uh, oh. a special guest. Lavanda, Chris and Fatima here. Aww. Hello, Chris and Fatima. How Hello. are you? It's Lavanda, how are you? It's so good to hear your voice. It's so good to hear you all's voice, even though I'm watching the show. <laughs> that is good. That is good. Oh, Levanda, fill us in on, on uh, what's happened uh, since Chris and Fatima first met with you. It's been almost, what, nine or ten months now. Correct. Well, um, since then, you all have um, found a uh, private investigator for my son which um, so far he's been doing really good. Um, just as of last week, the company that he was working for called Uncuff the Innocent, they decided to take Michael's case. Wow. Wow. Yes. That's, good. That's awesome. 
How is Michael feeling? Yes. Michael's feeling good. He really is. He's he's excited. How are you sleeping at night now? Real good. <laughs> <laughs> That's our how, goal. How is yes. Robin doing? How, how is Robin, Robin is doing? doing well. She's doing well. I'm just so glad we could give you that hope. Well, if it wasn't for you all, this none of this would have happened. And I give all my thanks to you all and also to my Heavenly Father Amen. for giving me the strength to, to, to last this long, um, these many years. But I give it all to you all because if it wasn't for you all accepting Michael's case to show to air this program, um, don't know. Well, don't I guess make us I'll cry I'll still be again. fighting. Huh? Right. So right. don't, don't make us cry again. You know, we got okay, those same, the same lights that we had that the night of the uh the episode, the night we recorded. So <laughs> we don't want it. We don't want to get started again. <laughs> you know, well, it was interesting because um I didn't expect that reaction out of you either at the end, Levando, because I have to say, as a mother, you are you're one of the strongest women I've ever met. And I could see that you believe in your son wholeheartedly and you will fight for him, but you are also almost numb to, you know, the persecution you've received from everyone else that you're just not going to let anybody tell you otherwise. And because <laughs> of that, you know, your strength showed and you were so stoic the whole time and, you know, it was very matter of fact. And I just thought, you know, we're going to give her this news and she's going to look at us. She's going to go, well, thank you very much. I appreciate you. And uh, but there was something that I really felt was lifted that in that moment of vulnerability, I don't think you've shown probably since the day he's been sent away. True. You're so true. It felt like when at the end, when you all said what you did, and I think it was a relief because I have been fighting for him for so long, you know, tried every avenue there was to get his case, for someone to look at his case, you know, and every time I was denied, no matter what I did, what I didn't do, I was denied. So to hear that, I think it was just like, it was a weight, a weight lifted off my shoulder. Hey, Miss Lavanda, we are very, very happy to help you lighten that load. And I, I, it, it does me and I speak for all of us on Reasonable Doubt. I'm proud to say that we are fighting with you. Oh, thank you, thank you so much. I, pre I mean, you know, I am, I am so grateful. Well, thank you, Lavanda. We really, really uh, appreciate that you let us come in and take a look at this case. And I know um, for Chris and Fatima, and for everybody who is involved in this, um, we really are honored to be part of this fight and michael cool. is lucky to have a mother like you i mean your love your devotion um to him and his innocence you know it's something to be admired and it's why we do the show you know we know that there's a lot of people out there and every day they wake up and they're hurting and nobody they have to go about their day and nobody else really can see that and everybody just thinks well the system got it right you know we feel bad for this mom mourning her son but you got to move on and and you didn't you you kept fighting 
And in that first meeting with you, you said no matter what the results, you would keep fighting. And I just think that that motherly love is amazing. But thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. Mm -hmm. I appreciate that. And nobody knows actually the struggle that a parent goes through other than the parent. I mean, you smile every day, but nobody knows how you feel inside. Nobody. To all of you all, again, thank you all so much. I am so forever grateful to you all. Keep us posted. Thank you. I will. I will. I will. All right. Well, this is the Reasonable Doubt podcast. My name is Rob Rosen. I'm the executive producer and creator of Reasonable Doubt. I'm Fatima Silva, criminal defense attorney and co-host of Reasonable Doubt. And my name is Detective Chris Anderson. I'm a former homicide investigator and the co-host of Reasonable Doubt. All right. And please check out the television show Reasonable Doubt. It's Tuesday nights at 10 o'clock on Investigation Discovery. And Every week, this podcast is really a companion. We're going to give you a lot of behind the scenes of what went into these investigations and the deliberations uh, between Fatima and Chris, and also do follow-ups and find out where some of the people who we have helped are now. So the Reasonable Doubt podcast, that's it for this week. Thank you very much for listening, and we'll see you next week. Bye, guys. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.